0: You know, one of the things I love about
1: God—there <laughs> you go, John. That could
0: take a while, though. Uh, one of the things I love about God is that He is a, a pursuing, a pursuing God. He works in our lives in a million different ways to get our attention, to to draw us to Himself. I heard an example of this this week from Sarah and Jose. Sarah's niece Charlene Charlene is in her 30s and she's married to who they call the other Jose. I guess we got the real Jose. Amen. right? And she's got two little girls. Average day in the middle of an average school week on the way to school and one of the girls starts to make that gagging noise which if you have kids who have been there when they're driving, you know the ones that get car sick. About a block away from the school The the little one gets sick, and it's all over the place. So she pulls over. She needs to go around the car and get in the little girl's door and help her, only to realize in horror that not only her keys are inside, but so is her phone and the doors are locked. In her own words, she says, I was standing there completely at a loss for what to do. She said she was thinking about throwing a rock in the window, and just then she noticed a man jogging. So he was about 60 years old, and she starts waving at him. She said he took his headphones off, and she said, Hey, can you help me? She said, thankfully, he's very friendly, and he starts jiggling with the driver door, because it's partway open, but it just will not unlatch. He tries for a minute or so, and she says, Hey, could I just borrow your phone so I could call somebody? He says, let me try one more time. He puts his hand on the handle and paused for three to five seconds. Quietly. Then slowly pulls it and and it opens.
1: Oh, sweet.
0: In her own words, she said, I was like, how did you do that? <laughs> he smiled at her and said, sometimes you need to just trust God that He will help you. And she said, I was literally standing there like that. That's an emoji and it was in there. <laughs> Three times. So he looks inside the car and says, You okay, kids? And she said, I could not believe it. I was like, thank you so much. But he goes on. He, he said to her, You know, I've been called to pray for certain people. I'm adding you to my list. Have a good rest of your day. And as he starts to walk away, he turns around and he says, God bless you. I'm going to see you at the throne someday." In her own words, she said, I was so stunned by the whole thing, I couldn't say anything but thank you. Tears started welling up in my eyes, and as I go to get Emmy out of the car, I was like, what on earth just happened? Did I just meet my guardian angel? Why would he say that about the throne? He had to be an angel. LOL. I'm still so shook up. I think about that, and I think about how God got Charlene's attention. On the way to school, I don't know what he was aiming to show her. Maybe that he, he loved her in the busy- busyness of that season as a mom, that he cared for her and the things she was going through. But God does that. He pursues us to, to get our attention in a million different ways. In our passage today, I want to show you an event like that that would be sure to get the attention of the crowds around Jesus as well as the leaders. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. It says there, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. Now, for those of you who will go along with me, I want you to experience for a moment this man's situation. So if you would, just until I tell you to, go ahead and close your eyes. Imagine you cannot see. Shut your mouth. I mean that in the best way possible. Because you are unable to speak. Think about what a tough case this guy is. Like he can't talk back to say, yeah, I understand what you're saying, Jesus. He can't see. Some have even speculated. Maybe the Pharisees handpicked this guy to bring him to Jesus. Let's see how he does with this guy. Talk about a difficult case. But what's verse 22 say? It says, And Jesus healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. Open your eyes and say, Praise you, Jesus. You guys are quiet. That's okay. What was the response of the people? All the people were amazed and said, Can this, can Jesus be the son of David. The people in the crowd were on the right track. They're thinking back to promises to David like in 2 Samuel 7 where God told David in verse 16, David, your throne will be established forever. Is is this the one to sit on David's throne? How about the leaders, the, the Pharisees? What was their response? Verse 24. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Now, we got three boys. We know about some trash talk and name calling between boys. I've never heard one of them call each other Beelzebul. And some of you are probably wondering, what in the world is Beelzebul? Well, it comes from the Old Testament, 2 Kings. It was the god of Ekron, Baal Zebub. But over time, the Jewish leaders had changed it into more of an insult to mean Lord of Flies. And where do flies hang out? It meant Lord of the, the dung. And they used it to refer to Satan. So, so what are they saying? They, they are saying Jesus did this casting out of this demon in Satan's power. Quite different from the crowd, right? Now, one of the things about going against Jesus that should wake you up if you've got an open mind is sometimes He responds to things you don't even say. I want to show you the rebuttal of King Jesus in four main points. But first, verse 25, it says, "Knowing their thoughts, He said to them." Now, if you had an open mind, that would that would wake you up. We didn't even say that, and now He's re- responding to it. I'm going to sum it up in four main points that Jesus said back. Number one, this is a paraphrase. That don't make no sense. (laughs) Listen to what he says in his own words. Verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom Stand. It doesn't make sense for Satan to work against himself, right? I I think about it like the the Trinity baseball team. Is it tomorrow night, Brad? Yeah, Yeah, they're playing the championship game. Championship game. How many of you think Brad is going to be down there tipping pitches to the other team to help Trinity get beat? You better not be. Right? It, It doesn't make any sense, right? He's going to be doing everything he can for his team to win. It makes sense for Satan to fight against Satan. It's it's illogical. Right? And I I see a warning here. When it comes to things of God, beware the temptation to be illogical. I think one of the biggest ways we see an illogical mindset foisted on the world for the past century plus is evolution. It's something even a child knows is not true. And I'll I'll, I'll illustrate that. I had a mentor along the way who once took his son past a a job site in the neighborhood where they were getting ready for a house to be built. And he took his son by the house and he said, see all these piles of wires and, and pipes and boards? Make a note. And the little boy did. And they came back several weeks later when the house was completed and the dad said to the little boy, guess what happened while we were gone? Just by time and chance, all these pieces came together and made this beautiful house. What did little boy say? Yeah, right, Dad. I know that somebody built this house. It's illogical. And yet, how many people are willing to take that to our complex universe, to something as complex as, as our DNA, and say that's why it happened? I'm so thankful in our house, one of our elders, Dave Gorgas, and we've just worked through some of these. He gave us a DVD called Evolution's Achilles Heels. Fifteen Ph.D. scientists explain evolution's fatal flaws in areas claimed to be its greatest strengths. When it comes to things of God, beware the temptation to be illogical. Jesus' second response you think casting out demons is good when your people do it. They, they had Jewish leaders in the name of Yahweh casting out demons. And they, they celebrated that. So verse 27, he says, But if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, as you say, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. You see, it's inconsistent. You celebrate when they do it, but you come at me when I do it. And here's a second warning. When it comes to things of God, beware the temptation to be inconsistent. We touched on this on Easter Sunday when it comes to the number of copies of manuscripts we have of the New Testament. Right? F.F. F. Bruce, New Testament scholar, put it this way. He said, If the New Testament were a collection excuse me, of secular writings their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. What's the trouble? They're not secular writings. They have something to say to our eternity and they call us to bow down before King Jesus. They call us to to change our lives according to His plan and His power. When it comes to things of God, beware the temptation to be inconsistent. Third point, Jesus said to them, and this is a heavy one, Paraphrasing again, when you reject the Spirit's work right in front of your eyes, you reject more than you realize. Listen to what he says in verse 28. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Not only were they rejecting Jesus Christ because He's the King, they were rejecting The kingdom of God. When it comes to things of God, beware the temptation to minimize what it is Jesus offers to you. Nothing short of deliverance from the domain of darkness into the the kingdom of light is on the table. Don't minimize that. And do not minimize how short we have in this life. How short of an opportunity we have to respond when we're young, we think we'll be here forever. I remember that. And I'm knocking on 50. I'm like, where'd that go? <laughs> James 4.14, what's it say? Yet yeah, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. The good news here, 2 Corinthians 6.2, right now, this morning, my friend, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Do not minimize that. You reject Jesus. You reject the very kingdom of God. Fourth and final point he makes. And this just makes sense too. For someone to conquer Satan, they've got to be stronger than Satan. Right? Verse 29, he says, How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed He may plunder His house. And we've seen this over and over in Matthew. Right? Matthew chapter 4. Out in the desert, 40 days of temptation, Jesus whipped Him soundly. Soundly in the desert. And many times since, casting out demons with with just a word. Right? Imagine if they'd only had an open mind. An open mind. I believe they would have seen it. When it comes to things of God, Beware the temptation to have a closed mind. A really important question to ask yourself this morning. Do you have an open mind to the truth of God? It's important because he's going to go on to talk about the ramifications of rejection. And this is one of the heaviest portions in Scripture. Verse 30, he says, Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, some of you who know your Bibles, you hear him say, whoever is not with me is against me. You can think of a passage in Luke where he says something that sounds like it's the complete opposite, right? Luke 9.50 says, those who are not against us are with us. So which is it? Well, I'm thankful for Matthew Henry here. He says, those who are not against us are with us. That's for little differences that arise between disciples. You know, those secondary theological conversations we have sometimes, sometimes about other matters. I'll share an example in our church's life. And I won't tell you which church next door it was, but some of you know this. When we started The Church Next Door, we chose the the name because it reflected what we wanted to be about. But shortly after going through some of the paperwork, we got a call from another church next door in Colorado and said, hey, just a heads up you're going to be getting a letter from another church next door in the country threatening legal action against you because you chose that name. I was like, wow, thank you for the heads up. And sure enough, we did get a letter. It was all lawyered up and everything. And I called the pastor at the other church next door and I said, hey, you know, as I ponder this, you know, I'm thinking about this out loud. There are how many First Baptists? like how many harvests, and I could, I could go on and on and they all managed to get along. We're we're nowhere near you guys in the country. And he said, "Well, I feel like you're you're in my grass." And I told you to get out. And I said with with all due respect, I I don't really feel like we're we're in your grass. And I took him to the the verse from from Luke. The one I just talked about, Luke Luke 9:50. Let me go back here and track it down. I apologize. Whoever is not against us is for us. And thankfully, we heard no more at the end of that phone call. That was the the end of that. There is a time for that. But what about this one here? Whoever is not with me is against me. What is Jesus saying here? Here. He's saying in the battle, the eternal battle for souls between Christ and Satan, there is no neutral ground. Every one of us in this room, whether we realize it or not, is on Christ's side or Satan's side. Perhaps the most important question you'll ever deal with is which side am I on? He goes on, verse 31, Therefore I tell you, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Now here we see the the amazing grace of God. Think of your life. I think of mine. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Oh, the grace of the cross. You got things going through your mind. Every sin and blasphemy. Those who turn in faith to the Savior will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. It's been wrestled with for years. What exactly is this blasphemy of the Spirit? And I want to throw something out here. I don't believe it's everyone who's ever spoken a word against the Holy Spirit or everyone who's ever occasionally resisted His internal work. How many of us have been there? Right? If that was the case, who then would be saved? Okay? So what is it then? We'll come back. Let, let's go on as Jesus unpacks it himself. Verse 32, he says, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. You guys are a little more boisterous than that first crowd. Yes, Jesus. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. And I think part of what he's saying here is, look, to these Pharisees and to us today, it's one thing to process through the serious puzzle that Jesus is fully God and and fully man. We believe it, but how many of us wrestle to understand that, right? You know, questions for them like, how could the Messiah come from Nazareth? Like, he, he could understand that. Or, how could God have a nose? He can understand that. Or how could God possibly get tired and hungry, right? We can understand the challenge of that equation even to this day. But, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Either in this age or in the age to come. Now, here's what I'm going to unpack what I believe this is. If you want to talk about this, if you you fall differently, I'd love to discuss. Because... Christians have have plowed through this for ages. But I believe the blasphemy of the Spirit Jesus is talking about here was unique to those in that generation. Think about the uniqueness of what these Pharisees had right in front of them, right? Jesus did resurrections. He did healings. He did deliverances right in front of their very eyes. And not just once, but, but repeatedly. And many, rather than worshiping, rather than saying that was God's work in the power of His Spirit, they dared to attribute that work to Satan. And to stubbornly remain in that place was too much. I like what Myron Augsburger said here. This sin is not simply an act which makes God so disgusted that He cuts one off, but rather is a sin which so changes the person's stance toward God. When, When you find yourself there, you have effectively changed your stance against God. He goes on. Forgiveness is always in relationship. It's not a package that one can get and run off with. Consequently, forgiveness cannot be known if one is closing his life to God. can't get it apart from relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Do you have that relationship? I said I believe it's unique to them, but is there a lesson for us today? I believe there surely is. And we'll come back to that at the end. But for now, I want to talk to you about Well, I'm calling the heart of the matter. As you think about what they said out loud, now Jesus is going for the heart. Verse 33. Either make the tree good, and its fruit good. Or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. He looks at them and He says, you brood of vipers. We know about vipers in Arizona, right? Vipers are filled with venom. Poison. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Words matter because of where they come from. they matter because of where they come from and I, and I think about it like this. you probably heard this age-old illustration. Whatever you're full of is what's going to spill out when life bumps you. The circumstances and people, right? (laughs) He
1: he enjoyed that twice this morning. (laughs) Right?
0: Because my cup was full of water when I bumped into Aaron in that circumstance, water bumped out. Whatever you're full of is what's going to spill over. So think about this. As much as we think about the words that do escape out of our mouths, Jesus tells us it's even more important to think about the heart that they come from. What's spilling out of me when I bump into people and circumstances in my life? Verse 36, I... He goes on, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. I think in particular for the Pharisees there, what we see here is that their words of rejection did not just slip out. They came from a settled refusal to acknowledge that God was working repeatedly Right in front of their eyes. And it would later lead Jesus to weep over Jerusalem because of the judgment that was coming. While I do believe that the specifics in a blasphemy of the Spirit was limited to those who attributed God's work to Satan in that generation, I believe there's an application for all of us. None of us want to die in that state of persistent unbelief. Because the moment you die, that is transferred from a temporary decision to a permanent one. Second, it's good to ask ourselves, am I squandering the ways that God is reaching out to me in my life right now? He's working to get my attention. Am I squandering that? Am I missing the ways he's wooing me towards a deeper relationship to himself? Am I wasting the opportunities that he's given me to to respond in faith? Please don't. Romans 2 4 says, Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Turn from sin to Him in faith. That's, that's what He's after. What is it God's showing you in your life right now? This morning. How has God been calling you to respond to Him? I think about this and, and I think about the Jewish people. I think about the rejection of these leaders in this instance. Does this mean God was done with this Jewish people? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Amen, Heidi. There's a Messianic Jew getting baptized today.
1: <laughs> Hallelujah.
0: I think about Romans 9 through 11, right? What, what's God's Word tell us? That before the end, a remnant of Jews will, will come home. I think about Heidi. I think about a visitor that I met in the bathroom after service last week of all places. It's okay to talk at the sinks, not at the urinal. That's the man talk. We were talking at the sinks. And he said, hey, I've got a story to tell you that I hope will encourage you about the Gospel of Matthew. And I said, what's that? He said, my my father is Jewish as they come. He said, I once told my dad, dad, just, just read the Gospel of Matthew from start to finish and pay special attention to the prophecies. You know what he told me? He said, my dad accepted Jesus as his Messiah. And I think about that remnant of Jews coming home. I don't know God's timing, but I'm telling you, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some come home. And I think about his dad's response to the Gospel of Matthew. And I think he practiced what we talked about today. He, he practiced logic. Here's what the prophecies, I believe, say. And here's what Jesus did. It, it makes sense. I think he practiced consistency. Consistency. Right, He's probably thinking, hey, if, if anybody else besides Jesus Christ fulfilled these prophecies, I'd probably believe they were the Messiah, right? So, why not trust in Jesus? I imagine he saw the urgency, too. If Jesus is my Messiah, I've got a choice to make before I step into eternity. And I believe he approached it with an open mind. What does it say? And he was saved by the Messiah. God worked in his life to bring him there. I, I think of a, a moment in my dad's life. Dad, forgive me if I'm in trouble for sharing this. I think about how he got saved as a young man. God was reaching out to him in his young life. I didn't even know this whole story till recently. He grew up in the church. But there was a young lady in their high school walking down a side street in their small town and a car ran off the road and killed her. As, as he and the young lady's boyfriend processed through that hard moment, it, it it started turning into God God was speaking to him. Hey, Don, life is short. Do you know where you'll spend eternity? And then shortly on the heels of that, an evangelist came up to their town from Cedarville University. His heart was prepared. The Gospel was shared and he walked that aisle as a teenager and accepted Christ as his Savior. God was working. And he responded. I think about the people getting baptized today. Man, I've had such joy talking with them. And three of them are going to share what God's doing in their hearts on shore before we even go in. But man, they see God working and they're obeying. And it should lead the rest of us to say, what's he calling me to do in my life? Is he calling me to salvation as they've come to salvation? Is he calling me to take a step of obedience? Where's he calling you to respond this morning? Is he calling you to repent of a sin that you've been cherishing? Is he calling you, Christian, to stop holding back and trust him and go all in for Jesus where he's put you? And the question for us is the same for that crowd that day and the leaders. God is working here, he's tugging at you. What will be your response? Lord, I thank You for this passage. I thank You that You are a pursuing God. Lord, I pray for the different groups in this room. Perhaps there's someone in this room this morning that that You're tugging at to come to faith in Jesus for the first time, to repent of their sin and turn to the cross, to the empty tomb. Say, Lord, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe He rose again. I believe there is victory and forgiveness. And eternal life in Him. I receive Him as my Savior and Lord. I pray for the Christians in this room. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we put walls up. We grieve the Holy Spirit who's working in our hearts. Please knock them down this morning. Help us say yes to whatever you're calling us to respond to. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for this morning together. Thank you for our mighty Savior who can deliver us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, who can open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual mouths to sing Your praises.
1: In Jesus' name, Amen.